In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, says St. Paul in his letter to the Romans. These words of the Apostle Paul, which we have just heard, help us to understand better the significant message of today's canonization of St. Josemaria Escriva de Balaguer. With docility, he allowed himself to be led by the Spirit, convinced that only in this way can one fully accomplish God's will. These were the opening words to the homily of St. John Paul II on the occasion of the canonization of our founder 20 years ago today in 2002. It was a beautiful sunny day with a joyful and recollected crowd, a massive crowd. Many had sacrificed a lot to be able to come to Rome from all parts of the world. They had traveled from the east, the west, it was beautiful to see this, the, the massive crowd, the multitude, the piety, the clean fun, and especially the vibrant unity that was there with the Pope. We've seen the images of the canonization. I wasn't able to go, but I was there at the beatification, which is 30 years ago. And really, though the images of the beatification might seem a little bit more blurry and a little less, you know, less accurate from that point of view, it was really the same, the same thing. Perhaps the canonization was maybe more, who knows, but pretty much a copy. And it was particularly moving to feel ourselves so united there and in communion with the Pope. You might think of those days of the canonization. I presume some of you were there, or the beatification. When we see the pictures and we see the movie clips, we might think of them perhaps as the good old days. We might think of that image of the Pope supporting us there in union with all those people who came, encouraging us to continue in the Spirit, as Pope John Paul II said, docility to the Spirit, which led our Founder to be faithful 
to that foundational charism. We might think, we see all that, we might think, well, yeah, those were the years of John Paul II. But we must now, of course, it is our role now to continue to be united to the Pope, no matter who he is, whether it was then, whether it is now, or in the future. That aspect of unity with the Pope is an essential part of our charism, the charism of Opus Dei that St. Josemaria received. And that unity with the Holy Father is part of our docility, it's part of that spirit that, that the Spirit wants to instill in our, in our souls. As John Paul II said, with docility, he allowed himself to be led by the Spirit, convinced that only in this way can one fully accomplish God's will. And you and I too, the only way we can really accomplish God's will in our life is that we always be united to the head of the church, to the head of the work and to the head of the church, the successor of St. Peter. And we are asked now to reaffirm at least that aspect of the spirit of the work. Because it's so part and parcel of our charism. It's part and parcel about what our Father wanted to instill in us. He wanted to instill in us a spirit of secularity. He wanted to instill within us a desire to sanctify our daily work. He wanted to instill in us the apostolate in the middle of the world. Well, it was God who wanted to instill that in us, but it was our Father that became the instrument of that fundamental charism. Remember that, that famous clip from, I think it was Venezuela, I don't remember where it was, from sometime in the 1970s when our founder went to that country. And it, this film, this clip is, I don't know, from 1972 or something like that, and a lady asks a question, and she, the, the mic is brought to her, there are many people, and she begins by thanking our founder for being faithful uh, to this charism, and she said, I thank you also for founding Opus Dei that has done so much good to us and to our souls and has helped us. Thank you for founding Opus Dei. And now I have a question. And he says, okay, well, before you answer, you ask your question, I have to answer what you just said. And he says, first thing he said is I never founded Opus Dei. I never, never did that. That is completely something of the Lord. That's his thing. He founded it. I was just an obstacle to what he wanted to found. And then the sudden upheaval of applause to those words. Our founder really felt that he was just an instrument and he said in fact, I was a bad instrument. I was an obstacle. Opus Dei is truly something that came into this world from God. It was, it was a desire of God. That's why we have to be led by the Spirit so that we be able to accomplish the will of God. And the Holy Father, Pope Francis, he too wants us thereby to be always united to the Pope, to be in the Church, as he once said, he said, the church is like a great river, with some on the right and some on the left. However, what really matters is that you are actually in the river. And we ask our Lord now, 
as we commemorate this anniversary of 20 years since the canonization to keep us in that river. St. Josemaria used to speak of it as staying on the road. You can stay on the road in a bike, in a, by walking, in a car, however you stay. You can stay on the side, you can stay in the middle, you can stay on the edge, but you have to stay on the road. You have to move forward, he would say. Some years, when we speak about the canonization, or for that matter, when we speak about our founder, we will underline some aspect of our spirit. Some days it will be, or some years it will be, our desire for sanctity. We think, well, he, he became a saint. Blessed Alvaro became a saint. Why not me? We emphasize that absolutely. And we emphasize the fact that we can do it through ordinary events of every day, through studies, through work. Some years we emphasize uh, secularity. Other years we emphasize the aspect of evangelization, the apostolate that we can do. But perhaps this year, specifically 2022, we want to underline that this sanctity can only take place in this river that Pope Francis spoke about. The river, which is the church, full of different kinds of fish, big, small, medium, cute fish, ugly fish, and that we have our place in this river, and that place is in union with the Holy Father. Things are perhaps different now in 2022. They're certainly different from the way life was in 2002. Think if you can think back to what you were doing in 2002. That year, Ben Affleck was all the rage. Michael Jackson had caused an international stir when he dangled his son from a balcony and looked like he was going to drop him, but he was just fooling around. And that little clip of him doing that just made everybody panic as to the sanity of this man. Avril Lavigne was still young <laughs> and she would poke fun at Britney Spears. The movie The Lord of the Rings came out, if you remember. Spider-Man was huge. And Sanyo came out with his first flip phone that could actually take a, a picture. I mean, today, like, everybody takes pictures. But, of course, the, the iPhone didn't exist yet. So it seems like ages ago, flip phones, like, who, what's a flip phone, most people will say. But back then, in 2002, the Holy Father spoke in the homily, he spoke about the creation narrative and the connection of that narrative in the opening of the book of Genesis to the work, to Opus Day. He said, quoting from chapter 2 of Genesis, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. The Pope said, the book of Genesis, as we heard in the first reading, reminds us that the Creator has entrusted the earth to man to till it and to keep it. 
believers acting in the various realities of this world contribute to carry out this divine universal plan to till it to keep it the Pope said work and any other activity carried out with the help of grace is converted into a means of daily sanctification I mean that's that's just part of the essence of our spirit the essence of what we're trying to do we're tilling we're keeping everything that has been entrusted to us right now is the work that you're doing the professional work going outside going into the office or working on a screen working from home you're tilling you're keeping something that God has entrusted you with so we can ask in the presence of God here what am I tilling what am I keeping today what will I till today that will bring greater order to the world, greater harmony, just as the tilling and the keeping of the land that Adam undertook kind of put more order into the garden. We're still now in Eden. We're still in the garden where the Lord has placed us. But it has changed a bit. It has developed a bit. Things have happened. We no longer have flip phones. Things have changed. But now, am I gaining traction in my work? How are the fields going that I have plowed? What am I really tilling? Our founders spoke about seeing all these events of work, of life, that we have to really see them through the prism of faith, through the prism of, of, of love, whether it's work, whether it's rest, whether it's prayer, whether it's sleep. In all those events of our life, God is always present. There's none of them where he is somehow on vacation or he's just not there. Now we know that the charism that our founder received has been ensured by the church. It has been recognized. You know, it's been kind of stamped with the mark of authentication. It's been approved. And it is this charism that led our father ultimately to be a saint. Him living out that charism. The church has recognized it, has given its seal of approval. This is good quality. This is part of what we accept. And therefore, ultimately, it's from God. Imagine if the church had never approved it, if the church had never recognized it, if the church had said, no, no, this is, we don't agree with this or something. Well, then we'd be lost. And not only that, but how could we become a saint in something that the church doesn't agree. But her father became a saint. Don Alvaro became a saint. He was beatified. Guadalupe became a saint. Isidoro became a saint. And we can name so many others. Many that, are, that remain somewhat unnamed. Because all were faithful to that charism. And we give thanks to God to all those who have gone before us. Now we know Father Joe Soria has passed away, and his life was totally enmeshed with the spirit of Opus Dei. 
And we believe too that living that out made him a saint. When the caregiver who was taking care of him was in the last few hours with him, he was so moved at seeing him when he passed away that he really just almost exalted him. He immediately said quite spontaneously, this man was a saint. And though he had to just you know, take care of him practically for everything, Father Joe couldn't do anything for himself. He was practically completely paralyzed. This caregiver was, was just moved to see that he had been able to deal with a saint. Why? Because Father Joe lived the spirit of the work. In addition, he had many human and supernatural qualities, but especially he lived the spirit of the work fully. The charism had kind of like been integrated in him. And there are so many others. This has to be said about us. Our father started the ball rolling with that initial illumination that he received. And then he actually lived out that illumination in his life, in his time, with the struggles that he had to face. From the Civil War, to the Second World War, to the Second Vatican Council and all the upheavals, the societal upheavals that came. But that charism that our father left behind, he left it to us with his example. He left it, much of it pretty much written or etched in books. He left it in his life, stories of his life, anecdotes we know about him. But he left it all for us now so that we pick it up. We pick it up like the, the mantle of uh, Elijah that Elisha picked up. Just as Elijah was about to be taken up to heaven. Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And then there's this marvelous exchange between these two prophets in the book of Kings. Elijah took his mantle. He rolled it up and struck the waters, which parted to the right and to the left. Then the two of them crossed over the, the dry ground. After they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? So Elisha answered, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And so Elisha saw his, his master go up in the whirlwind there, taken up in a chariot, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And then he never saw Elijah again. Elijah was not just passing on his wisdom. All that he accumulated in his journey. But he was preparing Elisha. Not only for his future. But for quite literally taking his place. Now, we have a portion of that mantle that our Father left us that we now have to pick up. We have to pick up the mantle. It includes his spirit. It includes his charism that he so faithfully uh, incarnated. 
but it includes his cheerfulness that we have to pick up. A cheerfulness that he lived in very difficult times. Everything seemed to be an upheaval. The dominant theme for him in the 60s was post-conciliar upheaval. For many people at that time, it was not very easy to distinguish between what the council said and the false interpretations of the, quote, spirit of the council, the spirit of Vatican II. Now, we can distinguish that a little bit better. But then, as all the new rituals were coming out, and just little drips and drabs of the council came out. The texts were not all fully published. Priests were doing what they said with the spirit of the council. It was difficult for everyone just to, to clarify it. Things were quite ambiguous then. They were overly circuitous in the way they, they spoke about the council. And this lack of clarity made our father suffer a lot. For him, sanctity was something so clear. It, it meant we had to suffer out of love. We had to give ourselves out of love. We had to have piety in the greatest sacramental realities that we have. And before all that was clearly articulated in the church teaching. And now, with the Second Vatican Council, it's not that the Second Vatican Council didn't change anything. Strictly speaking, it's continued. There was continuity. But the period right after, there was this, this, quote, spirit. And it was confusing to many. And it's left its mark. How have I taken up the mantle? How have I taken up? Picking up any mantle can be a scary thing. It can be confusing. It can fill one with dread and uh, a certain anticipation that we're not fully aware of. Why do we pick up a mantle? Well, we pick up a mantle because the one wearing it can no longer do so. He can't do it anymore. Elijah was taken up to heaven. Like, a, like Elisha, who took it up, and all the saints... They've all been given a legacy of something that can be picked up by each one. Alicia picked up that legacy and he made it his own. Now we have to make that mantle our own. We have to wear it well. We have to live it out in our circumstances, in our life. Do you feel, in the presence of God, do you feel that you have picked up that mantle and are continuing to do the good work that God has entrusted to you through the mediation of St. Josemaria and Blessed Alvaro and for that matter Guadalupe. But the real mantle comes from our Father. He was the founder. And we mustn't be afraid of taking up that mantle. Alicia picked it up. He called upon the name of the Lord and he went on with faith That's why for us, the anniversary of the canonization, as uh, Don Javier used to say, the anniversary of a canonization has to mean for us conversion. That's what it really means to take up the mantle. 
Our founder dedicated his entire life to the possibility of the sanctity of souls, of making this a possible reality. He spoke of continuity often. He often wanted us to feel responsible for continuing the work. Continuing the work is not just keeping some documents in safekeeping and, and locking them down, or even, for, for that matter, some practices, some customs. Really, the continuity of the mantle that we have to carry is the vibrancy of sanctity as a possibility for me and for others. This is what must never stop. This is what must always be a continuity that we have to instill in others, instill in the St. Raphael girls, instill in the supernumeraries, that mediocrity is not an option. We can never be mediocre. We can never just say, well, I'm in the church, I believe, and yeah. No, it's, it's really the vibrancy of sanctity in our life. Ultimately, we know that as the canonization decree declared, the whole purpose, the whole reason that the church canonizes people in the canonization decree, she gives purposes of a canonization. And that we're now in an anniversary is a way to reaffirm this now. The first purpose of a canonization is the glory of God. This is a big responsibility. We are giving glory to God. The church gives glory to God when she canonizes somebody. What about me? Do I live for this glory? Or am I worried about what more what others think about me? Is that a more dominant theme in my life? Am I just like stressed or, or focused in on getting some work done? Like we read in the preface of the saints, for you are praised in the company of your saints, and in crowning their merits, you crown your own gifts. In crowning their merits, you crown your own gifts. Yeah, that's, that's what the preface says. That's, that means it's for God's glory. And indeed, the Catechism says that no one has merited the grace that starts us on the path of holiness. No one. It was a gift made for us for no other reason than the goodness and the mercy of God. That's why our founder would say, look, I didn't found it, but this is something of the Lord. He did it. Es cosa del Señor, he would say. And the Catechism also defines merit, the reward which God promises and gives to those who love him and by his grace perform good works. And we couldn't do anything without God's grace. Our founder couldn't do anything. And the preface says, by their way of life, you offer us an example. By communion with them, you give us companionship. By their intercession, sure support. It's the communion of saints, which we emphasize today. And the second purpose is the exaltation of the Catholic faith. Glory of God, exaltation of the Catholic faith. God doesn't need human opinions. Jesus was crucified and, 
and yet that nevertheless glorified God. So let us ask uh, the Lord to give us the grace now to play our role by carrying up the mantle, taking up the mantle, wearing it properly, which will be to instill others, ourselves and others, with this deep desire for sanctity, carrying on the charism that God gave as a gift to Saint Josemaria and which he carried on in war with such generosity. This is our role, and we ask our, our Blessed Mother now eh, to make us effective. She's a saint, and she'll give us that support that we need. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.